Hello, race fans. Welcome to another edition of the Weekly Overtake Podcast. This week, we'll be talking Formula One from Monaco. It was a pretty exciting race, we'll say. Um, lots of action to talk about. Uh, fun race weekend, but not so fun at the beginning. Um, we lost one of the greatest drivers in Formula One history uh, in Nicky Lauda. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a long fart long fought battle i mean i know he'd been uh obviously struggling with you know just after effects of his uh his incident back in the 70s and um i mean but he's a you know he was a a great asset to the to the paddock i'm sure and and uh yeah you can you can tell that there was something special going on with uh, lewis hamlin you know this was one of his from what he was saying one of his hardest races that he's ever done so uh yeah Maybe had Nicky in there in the cockpit with him. Yeah, he's definitely a a tough cookie, I guess I would say, with Nicky Lauda. Um, you know, three-time world champion, 75, 77, and 84. Uh, he retired twice from the sport and came back to win championships each time after. Um, his relationship with Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes, he was actually one of the driving factors as to why Lewis is racing with the Mercedes Petronas Motorsport team right now. Um, he was appointed as a non-executive chairman, and he was heavily involved in those dealings to get Lewis to join uh, that Mercedes team. And I, they obviously built a relationship over the years. I'm sure he was an excellent mentor uh, for Lewis and was probably a part of the reason that he's where he is today. Uh, Lewis didn't do any media at the beginning of the weekend. He uh, went radio silent. And there were actually some critics saying, you know, how could you do that, this and that. You know, you should have gone out there and honored Nicky and, and spoke about him and his legacy. But the fact that he won the race after and sort of dedicated that one to him, um, I think makes up for that. So, and everyone deals with, I mean, loss or, or mourning in their own ways. So I wouldn't be criticizing people necessarily, but there were a few out there, uh, reporters that were saying this is nonsense. And I don't, I don't think I agree with that at all. So for, for sure. That's not, uh, I don't, I don't, there shouldn't be any sort of expectation on how you're supposed to address something like that. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, he's going to deal with it in his own way. And yeah, I think he did. I think he channeled that, you know, what would Nikki do? Obviously he kept saying that, uh, especially after the race, he mentioned, you know, what would Nikki do in this situation? So, um, so yeah, I mean, let's get into it. Let's, let's kind of go over uh, what we saw and, and uh, where we think, you know, the series is after this. Um, I think, I think first the kind of the big story starting off um, was what happened with uh, Charles Leclerc and Ferrari and uh, what I would consider a huge mismanagement. I mean, it's almost, it almost is baffling of, of how they could have messed up Q1. Um, obviously, uh, basically in, the, in Q1, Ferrari thought that Charles was safe with his time, uh, but clearly the track uh, evolved um and he ended up getting knocked out and obviously lost out on a clearly on a victory um but he had the speed the pace to run at the top so uh yeah definitely a big disappointment for him he was clearly upset yeah the fact that he, well he wasn't even sitting in the car in the pit he was out of the car helmet off you know like right 
they had no anticipation of sending him back out anytime soon, which blows my mind. At least bring him into the pits, let him sit there with the timing boards up on the dash, but keep him plugged in, keep him in race mode just in case because you never know what's going to happen. Like, that's it's unacceptable, and he's been screwed. Not This is not the first time. I mean, the first wasn't really a team fault, but the mechanical issue they had when he lost the race and should have won. He was looking for his, his first race early on the season during the second GP. He got screwed by Ferrari there. Um, obviously, the talks of them team orders letting one driver go over the other and he's faster and then now this huge mistake in q1 at his home race where he was fastest in in fp3 that morning just you know like he showed great pace to me he was faster than vettel and he probably would have been faster than vettel had he been able to compete but yeah i mean i we were like messaging back and forth during that qualifying session and i was i was like beside myself i was like man like he can't just he can't quit, but that would be one of those moments where you consider just walking out of the office and being like, "Really, guys? Okay, thanks. Like I'm out of here." Like my my first instinct was was that it was malicious, like that they were I don't know if they're trying to knock him down a peg or whatever. But it's just it was like, what? I mean, why would you even think that? You know, you had it in the bag. I mean, you know, because what? I mean, he was only sitting eighth. I mean, what? I mean. His was it his Q one time when when they stopped, you know. Yeah, without going to the replays and watching it live, he was he wasn't like clean and clear. You know, he was somewhere like yeah nine ten I think, and then Vettel was seventeenth. You know, after their first run, obviously Ferrari had a poor first run for both cars. Leclerc just having to manage it better than Vettel did, and Vettel made a mistake and hit the wall coming into the straight. Um, there were some issues with their their first few fastest laps that they went out and set. So at the hint of those like you pretty much have to go out again there's no reason Vettel ended up running 13 laps and qualifying Lewis Hamilton and this is in, just in Q1 13 laps Lewis Hamilton 12 Botas 11 Verstappen ran 5 so okay I guess he went up there and put a great time in uh, but Leclerc only ran 8 laps and you look at the rest of the grid everyone's in double digit laps so he should have been sent out again for a second stint tires or no tires doesn't matter you have to be ready to go with with that three minute window at the end of each qualifying session obviously depending on the circuit and how long it takes you to do your outlap and get on your flying lap uh, i would say with three minutes to go that car should be ready you know with the with the, the the team right there by the tire warmers ready to peel them off and set that car off again because the track evolution changes every single time in qualifying and it's always going to be that last you know that last second crossing of the line and putting in your fastest lap but the clock on zero is going to get you that top time you know, you know, you really, you rarely see a pole time or anything set if they don't, if they're not running their fastest lap at the end when the session's already over, you know? Right. So, right. I, especially in a track like Monaco where qualifying position is so critical. I mean, it's so difficult to pass here and, uh, the margin of error is so little that, you know, obviously what we saw in the race where Leclerc, I mean, basically said, uh, you know, he was just going to send it. You know, it's been in or win it. And, um, yeah, it just, that strategy I don't think really works here. In this age of this of the cars and just how, um, how you know, fickle mm-hmm. the cars are and, and any little uh, damage or whatever, um, yeah, it's it's hard to get past. Obviously, I know, like, in, in, in seasons past, um, yeah, if you're at the front, you can go slower. You can have issues. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ricardo was what? 
15 seconds down or something on the on like the qualifying lap time and and still won the race you know or he was down on power or, or whatever it was i mean yeah it was like a no last year he had a mechanical issue and he lost out on about 150 horsepower and still made that car wide enough to to keep it around and and hold on to the lead in two years prior his team screwed him up right but yeah just what i'm saying is if you're at the front you can have issues and still win if you're at if you're in the pack i mean good luck it's just not gonna happen so um you know i can't really say that i agreed with leclerc's strategy of just been in or win it i think you know at the time we didn't know if the rain was coming obviously he was just showing i mean you know he's just showing his um his immaturity i think just he was just mad pissed off whatever but hey well i think at the end of that qualifying after that happened to him he knew he had a mountain to climb just to get back into the conversation uh, of the race so for example last year max verstappen had a unfortunate qualifying session where he wrecked his car i think it was either i think it was fp3 where he wrecked it and he couldn't qualify so he had to start 20th last on the grid and he ended up finishing in the points in ninth place so i was hoping for that type of drive out of Leclerc this weekend where you can make that charge from the back to maybe he could at least been maybe like P seven would have been a huge save, you know, for him. But yeah, I think he was obviously he's young. I think he was flustered. He knew he had a mountain to climb. He had had patience with Grosjean, but then with Hulkenberg, when he was going around, he didn't have those, that patience. Um, Hulkenberg even gave him room and he tried to stick it in there anyway, got that puncture and then just, hammered around the track and just destroyed the floorboards of his car like and yeah right which you got to think either i mean surely he knew what he was doing he knew that driving at that speed with it with a uh, you know a, bl- a blown tire is gonna either or maybe he didn't know and he just thought oh, i'll just get back and as soon as possible and wasn't thinking about it and then came in and was like oh shit <laughs> but well you know whatever it's um obviously he couldn't continue after the damage of the floorboards, I think he did a couple laps and then came back in. But um, yeah, it would have been nice to see him at least just, I mean, at least just for um, a long-term strategy, getting, just getting experience around the track. The longer you stay, you know, the more you stay out there, the better. It's obviously like, and there was a safety car later. I mean, there's things that could have happened that made it change it, but he's not, you start from that far back at Monaco. Like you said before, it's, these cars are six feet wide, two meters. It's impossible to pass. You need a ton of room and it doesn't exist. You saw it with, Verstappen late in the race on Hamilton, you know, pressure, pressure. Hamilton was able to do every, whatever he wanted at the front. You know, he was panicking. He got a little flustered. And that's the first time I think this weekend that we've seen Mercedes as like vulnerable a little bit or kind of on edge. They were, they've seemed cool, calm, collected, and confident in all the rest of the races this year thus far. And except for Bahrain where they, they cleaned up the mess that Ferrari made for them. But yeah, other than that, they've been pretty dominant and super confident so they tried the stack this week again which they pulled off successfully uh this season already flawlessly and this week it didn't really go as well as before the pit times were fine but during the release of botas verstappen came out under that uh had an unsafe release and ran into the side of his car but more interesting enough was that first stop what'd you think about hamilton going on the medium tires instead of the hard tires whereas vettel and Verstappen, when they came in, they took the hards. But I don't know how Mercedes, you know, it was, it was lap 16 of the race, of a 78-lap race. So at the time when they were pitting, they went from a used soft tire to a brand-new medium with 67 laps to go. Uh, what did you think about that decision at that time? 
Well, so at that time, I really thought, I think, and they were probably um, rolling the dice that the rain was going to come and that they would all have to come back in anyways. And so, you know, if they could be on the little stickier tire for, let's say they got, four, you know, 40 laps out of it and then switched to reins, whatever. There's a little bit of advantage there. So I think, you know, that's just, I mean, at the start of the race, they said it was a 90% chance of rain. That's what they, that's what the announcers, announcers kept saying. So I think everybody was in that kind of rain mindset. Um, so obviously I don't think that that strategy type of strategy would have played out so well at a different track. Well, a track where there's could have been more passing opportunity. Um, here, uh, I think, like you said, if you're at the front, you can make that car wide and yeah, you can set, you can set the pace. You can kind of decide you know, if you can, if you don't put it into the wall, people can't really get around you. Um, so that was, you know, that worked out here and it was really interesting. I thought to, to see Hamilton, um, you know, vocalize how much he was struggling or, or how he thought it was the wrong decision and just, yeah, kind of being a little bit of a crybaby about it. Um, like, you know, I'm sure like, obviously it was difficult. I'm can't even imagine driving a car let alone driving one on those tires um but well you see it from drivers with good tires lockups into the corner just regular fighting for position things like that all the pressure that verstappen was trying to place on hamilton and still no lockup no running wide no coming in too fast like that's so he said it's like it's, this could be one of my best drives ever and again skeptics questioning whether or not that's the case and like you said really how 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 bad of a shape were you really in you know were you just overplaying it because then towards the end of the race they said oh max that you know mode seven you he, oh max just got more power and he's like oh that's great news guys thanks like you know like kind of acting like it's over for him and there's nothing he can do even though he made it look easy i'm sure it wasn't but just the, with his level of skill and execution like i'm surprised he didn't lock up at some point or, or make some sort of mistake really not even of his own just because of degradation so the way he held it together, like you said, and everything is just right. Yeah, I mean, it's that was impressive, right? Well, you know, part of me thinks that hey, these these obviously F one is entertainment. These drivers, especially someone like Lewis Hamilton, knows the uh, the uniqueness, the kind of the power of this team radio contact, and and I'm sure that there's been conversations about yeah, hey, feel free to kind of you know talk that up or take advantage of that. Um, it, it definitely, obviously it adds some sort of drama to, you know, for the, from a fan's perspective, you're watching this, you're actually getting an insight into what they're thinking at the time, which is, which is cool. You know, not every racing series has obviously MotoGP doesn't have that. Um, you know, so say what you will about it. Um, I thought, I just thought it was very interesting. Um, who knows if it was strategy, you know, double, (laughs) double, uh, double blind or whatever they call that. Uh, but yeah, that was, I was, I still think that regardless, I mean, um, it was clear from the, t- from what you could see on TV, like those front tires were, they were degrading pretty far. Yeah. And so there's no doubt. Um, yep. They were talking about losing obviously entry to the corner and then, uh, breaking all that weights on the front of the front of the car. So I just expected a lockup or some sort of slide or understeer and yeah it didn't happen so thankfully he was fine and he, and he had so much power too coming out those that because really we look at monaco there's i guess three corners to me so 
you have the hairpin where you can try max it multiple times unsuccessful there and that's a tricky one to really get a pass on unless your car just has the pure speed you to get around the outside you know um then you come through the tunnel and you have turn 10 there right before the the chicane at the end of the tunnel section but every time they came out of the hairpin downhill towards the tunnel and the mercedes would get on it and he would just instantly pull away and max would get on it right after but he was making up so much room inside that tunnel that max really could never get close enough at turn 10 where that's what he did last year Last year, he just picked everyone off at turn 10, and he was executing it over and over to make his way up the grid, but this year, he couldn't get close enough to that Mercedes, and we learned later that during that pit stop where he had unsafe release, he was in the wrong torque mode for the engine that was supposed to be adjusted during that pit stop, and this was only a mode change that can be done while the vehicle is stationary. So he was coming in, and I don't know the numbers specifically, but we'll say he was on mode, I think it was 12, and he was supposed to change to mode 6. That had to be done while the car was stationary in the pits on the wheel. He didn't do that. So by the time he was released and ran into Boatas, usually the team reminds him to, you know, check it. It has to be done at a certain speed, basically, either stationary or a low speed, pit lane speed. Yeah. So he couldn't do it during the race. So they were trying to give him other configurations to mess with to get more power and torque. But, I mean, in the end, I don't think it would have made a huge difference. But that's just, that was a mistake on his behalf where he would have had a little more power at the end sure. to, to stay closer to that Mercedes car. So who's who, who's who's at fault for the unsafe release, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, it was. Would you, I mean, is it was it his? Because there's a guy on the pit that kind of tells him, "Hey, you're clear, go." Right? Yeah, there's a board. I mean, above them they have like lights, so okay. and lights go green. And now I know that's supposed to be at the end of the pit stop once all the mechanics are done and the, the tire changers have their hands up. You know, they all they say go ahead at that point. But that's not the only factor. You have to look down pit lane, which in Monaco is a nightmare, and there's mechanics everywhere. But when he was done with his pit stop and they were about to release him, that's about the same time that Boatas came out behind Vettel. So when you watch it, it's to me, it's like almost instant. So should he have not come out? Yeah, probably not. And the fact that he gave Valtteri a puncture is another huge issue because then he came in and Mercedes made the right choice at that, at that point to put the hard tire on, which lasted him until the end of the race easily. Yeah. He had no complaints. But the fact that he punctured his tire... And the only reason he passed him was because he released unsafely. The only passing that happened at the top was in the pit lane when Max passed Boatas by ramming into him and getting mm. passed. So <laughs> other than that, there were no passes in the top, you know, five, six positions of the race at all. Right. So everybody else was just, you know, like a procession. Interesting. So. Yep. I mean, yeah, I mean, an obvious. Close to call. A 10-second penalty doesn't change it either. So That was only five seconds. Right. But even if they went a little more, a drive through probably would have been the most appropriate thing but that would have totally changed the the outcome of the race but i would have pitted max put soft tires on at the end fix that mode issue and send him back out that's what i would have done probably about 15 laps to go and mm. send him out behind ghastly like you know you're gonna end you know fourth like right that's you already know that you're second you're gonna lose five seconds you're putting yourself fourth so why don't you just go out ahead of ghastly and then try and pick off you know boatas if you can you know or put pre put pressure with the right engine mode and brand new soft tires when they're running on old tires, you know? Right. So instead of keeping him out there, trying to get him to get Lewis at a yeah. point to get Lewis to where he could maybe make up five seconds or some sort of gap to get, or really not five and more like probably more like like three so that he could end up third or something. Right. But yeah, yeah, it's, you know, hindsight's 2020. Right. Yeah. Well, even then it's tough to call because he could have came in something could other issues, you know, and, 
Like, if you look at what happened to Ricardo, the Renault was running P5. They had a pit stop under the safety car. They came back out, and he finished ninth because he was stuck in traffic, and he gave up track position for tires at that time. And once you give up track position to Monaco, unless you're clearly faster or you're getting blue flag because you're getting lapped, it's really hard to get around anybody. Right. So the move of the day for me was Carlos Sainz on the first lap. Uh, if you go back and watch the opening lap, turn three, he passes both of the Toro Rosso Red Bulls in one fell swoop around the outside at turn three. And that was that's the move, the, dr- the drive of the day or the, the move of the day for me was uh, Carlos Sainz, who had a great race yeah. for himself and finished uh, best of the rest. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, there was there was a couple good passes. Like we said, you know, Leclerc had one good one on uh, – on Mag- was it Magnuson? Uh, it was Grosjean. Uh, uh, Grosjean. Grosjean. Yeah. yeah. Um, I tried it again and and failed, but um, yeah, it was it's a tough race. You know. So speaking of that same corner, um, there was an incident between Kevin Magnuson, um, one of the Alphas. Oh no, it was uh, one of the it was one of the Alphas and the Williams uh, car. Uh, Williams car. Kubica, yeah. Kubica, yeah, uh, and totally. Which also then uh, held up Leclerc, uh, but yeah, that was kind of a total cluster. Um, yeah, F two, same thing happened in one of their races. Ended up red flagging the race though uh, in that session. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. It was that that corner's a mess too. Raskas, I believe, is the name of that corner. But yeah, they. It's not a lot of room to pass, but it's just enough to try. So yeah, they do, and it almost always ends up the same way with a car getting spun around like that. And yeah. that's it. You see that the hairpin too. That's happened in the past during F one races at the hairpin. Yeah, but but uh, um, Toro Rosso, pretty awesome weekend for them. Uh, four Honda powered cars in the top ten at the end of the race. So props to Honda. Obviously, Red Bull and Honda are happy with that relationship, and they have some really good drivers in Alex Albon and Daniel Kafiat has been on a tear so far this year. So mm-hmm. that team is performing uh, exceptionally well. I would say. Right. Expected more from Haas. Expected more from Renault especially um and then even at williams some interesting stuff going on with uh kubica leading the race actually ahead of his teammate and generally the lead driver has the preference for the first pit stop but they pitted george russell first before kubica and kubica got on the radio and said hey i thought that because i'm ahead i have preference and he's like oh yeah we're checking on that for you you know this like they just they're it's so embarrassing how blatant it is at williams that they're they're kind of knocking him down a peg for George Russell, who's the future. And he ended up, you know, finishing P15, which is Williams' best finish all season. And everyone's praising George Russell for an excellent drive. But he did fine, but he could have been, I don't know. I think they gave him some favoritism and helped uh, prop those standings there. Right. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Williams, I'm sure Claire Williams is not going to last um, forever. And... You know, it just needs gonna need to breathe some new life to that team to make something happen. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's just a budget thing for them or where that, you know, that deficiency lies. But yeah, yeah, I think for yeah. the teams that are way far back right now, everyone's eyes are on 2021 with the new rule changes. I know McLaren's eyes are on it. There's right. lots of battles happening right now and debates uh, with the FIA to figure out what the new rules are going to be and what the future of Formula One is going to look like. Um, and I think most people recognize the fact that it's, it's a little arrow crazy and arrow heavy 
to the fact that it's too easy to drive these cars and you know they're they're too big they can't follow it's hard to pass it's not as competitive so that's where most of the grid is fighting to try and even the playing field with the new rule changes right and you know money spending caps stuff like that so uh on in my eyes unfortunately i think it's going to take at least another season or two before the rule changes come into play and then we see these teams getting on board and being more competitive you know with the new new rules no doubt no doubt yeah it kind of takes away from uh it being driver centric to strategy centric or team centric like right. there's so many other things have to be in place uh it almost the, uh, it takes away from the skills of the driver and it makes all of these very talented drivers i'm sure that are whatever the rest of the field um kind of it's, it's for that i guess maybe for the average fan it's hard to see uh any sort of like positives out of that like you know oh all the focus is on the top three and everybody else sucks or something. <laughs> right. It's totally not true. It's just not true. It's just uh, it's just the way that the the series is set up right now. It's just tough. Yeah, you have to be amazing to be average in F one, and you have to be, you know, off the charts to be leading up top. Like, yeah, no discredit to any other drivers on these grids, like doing what they're doing. Like we talked about before, that Formula One point five. Uh, any of the fans out there that haven't heard of that, there's a sweet Reddit out there. R slash Formula One point five. And it's essentially focused on the midfield. Uh, it, it, what if Red One didn't have, or excuse me, Red One F One didn't have Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes, and how the championship standings would look at that point? So go out and check that out. F One Point Five. Nice plug. Yeah. 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 I think I think it's important um, for the series that that they get twenty twenty one right, uh, especially if it sets kind of the, you know, how it's going to be for the next however many years. Yeah. Um, no. I know for me just as a fan like that's what i'm looking for i'm looking i'm not looking for honestly i'm not really looking for the fastest cars i'm just looking for the spectacle you know right. part of, for me obviously you know and i know this is like a people drone on about this crap but for me it kind of got a little bit of that of that was lost with the turbo era obviously loved the sound i unfortunately never got to go see them in their naturally aspirated days um but you know who knows um that's why they have the classic races that's right i know you can still see them around but um and then just from like i said from the from the rule standpoint uh sometimes every little single thing being investigated penalties being doled out it's kind of like it it almost it's like it's like a catch-22 you make these cars so um fickle and so um fragile and then any little racing incident any little mistake ends up in Usually, somebody getting a penalty or something, ending someone's race weekend, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and so, a puncture from the end of a wing or something like that. A puncture, you're done. Depending on where you're on the track, good luck getting back to the pits. You know, right. like right, right. So, so that makes it uh, makes it interesting. Makes it uh, kind of difficult to to get behind. But so we'll see. I, you know, like I said, I'm I'm hopeful for 21, 2021 as well. Um, but all in all, I think this race. Um, you know, there's no doubt that Hamilton is a world champion, uh, like a true world champion. He's not, I don't think he's just, just because he's in a, he's in a Mercedes, he's winning. I mean, you know, it's really showing uh, true grit. And, um, and so, yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, super drive on his behalf. Um, looking forward to the next race in F1 will be in Montreal, Canada. 
uh, won last year by your resident Ferrari driver, Sebastian Vettel. So let's see what they can do going back to Montreal. Uh, this track will suit them better after these updates. Spain didn't help them out with that sector three. Monaco again, tight street circuit. Hard to make anything happen, but they still showed pace all throughout free practice and qualifying. So if they can just get all those pieces together before Sunday's race and put them in a position to be fighting for a podium, then I think they'll be able to take the fight. I know I said that Red Bull would be the one taking the fight to Mercedes, which was more or less true this weekend. I guess Verstappen literally wedged himself between Botas and Hamilton in the pit lane. So, but I, I Montreal should be uh, a really good race. And then MotoGP next week is where? Um, oh, let's see. Mugello, right? Right. Yeah. Italia. Which is uh, always an awesome race. Very excited for that. So, yeah, we'll see if Davi and the Ducatis can take it. Absolutely. Yep. Take the fight to Marquez. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's a little bit different this year because Honda uh, has made up that power deficit uh, that, that the Ducatis have had on them. But, you know, can never count. Can never count out the Italians in this race because there's it adds a bit a bit of something to them. Yep. You know, so we'll see. Maybe uh, Petrucci will get his get his W. That'd be we'll pretty, see. That'd he's be been pretty up there. Cool yeah. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. been in the fight every race. So we'll see. It's all about management. Maybe we'll get. I don't know. Hopefully for the no crazy weather. When you were there, there was was there bad weather when you were there last time? Uh, well, so I was at Masano. Um, and uh yeah actually the weather sucked it it was it was beautiful like every day a week before and a week after but the the race day uh was torrential rain it was cold yeah and uh marquez won that race so yeah that would have been one that's i mean obviously it's great to be there but i enjoy that one on the couch well i guess and then you know that was such a that was so funny because that that was also the one race um, in 2017 that Rossi. So Rossi had broke his leg uh, like a week before, between races in a motorcycle in a motocross accident, missed Masano, so I, I didn't get to see Rossi at his like quote unquote hometown race. Uh, it was raining, it was cold, and then he was and then Rossi was back for the following race, which was obviously that's amazing. But it's like, oh wow, worked out exactly like I thought. Yep. That's, but it's still one you'll never forget. So, absolutely, it was great and plan to see quite a bit more, hopefully, in the coming coming years. Indeed. All right, let's wrap it up. So, as always, guys, thanks for listening. Um, if you like the show, please leave us a review, five stars, and you can reach us at theweeklyovertake at gmail dot com. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Uh, tune in next week. We will uh, do a, a pre and a post. Uh, we'll do a, a post-qualifying and a post-race for um, for Magello. So tune in for that. All right, Josh, sure. see you next weekend. Yep. Cheers. See you next week, man. Bye.